Today we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, looking at verses 19 through 20. If you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, you want to get that out. Uh, I had a friend back in Oklahoma. His name was Everett Griffith. And Everett was a mechanic. That was how he made his living for the most part. But he was also a cattle farmer. And he passed away back in 2017. And although he didn't have his shop anymore at that time, he was actually still running cattle into his late 80s. Everett and I became friends in 1993 when I was 10 years old. I was transitioning out of the children's ministry and into big church, and my parents wanted me to get involved somehow, and as I've told you, I mentioned this before, my parents, my grandparents were heavily involved in the church, doing all sorts of things, serving the communion, taking up offering. They were on the count team together. So when I left children's ministry, they said, okay, you got to get involved somewhere into the life of the church. So I became an usher, and Everett was the lead usher at the church. And, and, and he trained me, and it's not the, the most difficult job, but you do need to have a smile on your face as people come in. You need to know enough about the church that you can point them in one direction or the other. Where's the bathroom, at least? Sometimes that's important, being able to point people in those directions. And Everett was that smiling face that greeted people every single Sunday. Now, I started in 1993. He had been doing it since 1963. Because that's when the church first opened. He was a charter member of the Cherokee Hills Christian Church. And about six years ago, I had the great privilege of running back to Oklahoma on Father's Day and performing his funeral service the very next day. For 50 years, he was a consistent smile and a welcoming face for people who came into that church. And his consistency was a great example to me and the hundreds of people that came through the doors of that church. This morning, I want to talk about consistent co-workers in Christ, men like Everett. In our passage today, Paul does something a little bit out of the ordinary. If you read his letters, he normally mentions the personal things at the end of his letters. For whatever reason, that, that's what he does. But here in Philippians, it's a little different. He spreads it out across the letter. I think there's a couple of reasons for that. First, this church is near and dear to his heart, and so he just can't help himself. But I also think he is mentioning these consistent co-workers here in the middle of the letter, not for information purposes, but because he wants the original readers, the Philippians, but also us to learn from their example. Now, while we might sometimes just read right through this passage, get on to the next thing, I, today I want us to pause and just stop for a moment, think about how can we follow the consistent co-workers we see in Scripture how can we follow those consistent co-workers that we have around us as well? And how can we be consistent co-workers ourselves? A good reputation comes by way of consistency. And the secret to consistency is to trust in God. Paul shares with us two examples of those kind of co-workers that he has surrounded himself with. He starts with Timothy. It's not unusual. You would expect Timothy to be on that list. Timothy was a young man, perhaps even a young boy, when Paul first meets him. And Paul discipled Timothy in, in many ways. But at this point in Paul's life, while he's in jail, 
He, Timothy has become just such an important part of his ministry and of his life. He's a very consistent co-worker of Paul's. So Paul describes Timothy like this in Philippians 2.19. He says, if the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you're getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves, not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what's going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. Well, Paul's plan is pretty simple. He's going to send Timothy to Philippi and just check and see how things are going. He wants to know, are, are they improving? Have you addressed the issues? Has there been some resolution with the problem that he's going to address later on in this letter? And I'm sure Paul expected Timothy not just to go and visit, but to actually be a contributor in helping with that resolution. So after Paul explains why he's going to send Timothy, he sort of lays out some of the attributes that Timothy has as this consistent co-worker of his. The first attribute that we see that we ought to adopt is to be someone who genuinely cares. Paul says he's got no one else. There is no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares. The ESV says that Timothy had a genuine concern for the welfare of the Philippians. Remember that Timothy was with Paul when the church began in Philippi. He, he made later visits as well. And so Timothy's knowledge of the Philippians is not just showing up and not knowing anyone. He knows them. He knows them by name. That's why he genuinely cares about them. Paul had the attitude that we see in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. It's a good description of his mindset. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. That's how Timothy lived his life. It was something he learned from his family and the many years he spent as Paul's right-hand man. Even at the end of 1 Corinthians, Paul tells the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 16.10, when Timothy comes, don't uh, intimidate him. He is doing the Lord's work just as I am. Timothy was a young man who cared for the church and was about continuing the work that God had for him. And we shouldn't just read that text and say, okay, well, that's nice. I'm glad Timothy was there. That way, We shouldn't just read it for information purposes. We need to follow the example that we see here. So as we look at Timothy, we need to ask ourselves the question, what do we genuinely care about? What do you genuinely care about? Do I genuinely care about the people that I serve here at the church? Do the physical, the spiritual needs of those around us here in the body and, and even those outside the walls, do they weigh heavy on our hearts? What you may have found, hopefully, hopefully you will eventually find this, is that God will place things on your heart that he cares about. And that becomes the thing that you care about. For my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law who live in Joplin, Missouri, they genuinely care about kids in the foster care system. That has been their heart for really the entire time that I've known them, that I've been married to Abby. 
They were foster parents for years. My sister-in-law works for a fostering company organization that comes alongside foster parents to help them and support them. They adopted two children out of foster care to add to the three girls that they have. Their youngest daughter has cystic fibrosis. They knew that going into it. She's had a lot of health concerns, health issues. Her life expectancy is getting longer and longer, thankfully, but, but it's not as long as what it would be otherwise, why did they dedicate their life to that? Because that's what they genuinely care about. Some of you may wonder, why, why did Abby and I move here? In the midst of some of the things that, were, that are going on, why move farther away from family? Because we genuinely care about the local church. I believe the local church, at its best, is the greatest good on the face of the planet. We can have an incredible impact if we come together and we genuinely care about each other and we genuinely care about those who are not yet inside these walls. That's why we're here, to just come alongside you, to have an impact for the good of the kingdom. What do you genuinely care about? we got to care for the church, we should care for one another, we should care for the community. And understand, I'm not saying you don't. I, you do. We all care about something. I'm just asking you, what is that something? If what you genuinely care about edifies the body, if it builds up the church, then keep doing it and do it with consistency. The other attribute that we see in Timothy was his servanthood. We need to be proven servants of God. So after Timothy's conversion... Paul doesn't immediately just take him on a missionary journey. He doesn't just immediately put him to work. In fact, what he does is he leaves him in a couple of towns there, Derby, Lystra, to just be with the church. He's there to just fellowship with the body, to gain some pastoral experience. And then a few years later, as Paul comes back around, then Timothy has grown and he's ready to go and, and serve along with him. So in Acts 16, 2, it says this, Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium, so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. So that time of growing and learning from the other believers was imperative for Timothy and his spiritual growth. It's part of what made him this proven servant. Paul gave him time to just sort of establish roots before he went on a missionary journey. And so as, as Paul takes him under his wing, he teaches him the word. He allows him to just watch the apostle do his ministry. It was like a really long but really good internship. And because of that, Timothy becomes this proven servant of God. It's the same way Jesus operated. He takes his disciples and he disciples them for a time period and then he sends them off. Remember, two by two. Okay, we've done the work. Now you guys go and live this out. And so that's the same thing we see Paul doing for Timothy and it allows him to be this proven servant of God. You see, proven servants of God never stop growing. Proven servants of God never retire from serving. You don't retire from the kingdom. You can retire from your job, that's fine, but you don't retire from the kingdom. You just find other ways to serve. You find other avenues to serve. Proven servants of God never stop sharing their faith. There was a man named Jim Irwin at my previous church who was absolutely a proven servant of God. He was diagnosed with a very painful cancer Back in 2021, I have never seen anyone suffer 
the way that he did. But I've also never seen anyone love the Lord and love the lost like he did either. It was incredible to watch. He and his wife lived in this little 55 and up neighborhood there in Tonganoxie. And, and I remember vividly going and visiting him one day. Most of the time he was almost in too much pain to talk. But on this day, it was a good day. It was one of the few good days he had. And so we just sat outside uh, on his porch. And you would think we would talk about how he's doing or we would talk about how he was feeling or talk about the weather or talk about the chiefs because the chiefs are awesome. Um, <clears throat> sorry. We, 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 we didn't talk about any of that. What we talked about were the people in his little 55 and up neighborhood that he'd been witnessing to. And we went just one by one who, who it was, how close he thought they were to accepting Christ, and we just talked about each one and each one. And I think if I said this, and I think if we do this, and I think if I could get him here, and he was, he's weeks away from his eternity. And on his mind are the eternity of these people in his neighborhood. That's what a proven servant looks like. Church, that's how you run your race all the way to the end hard. That's what a consistent proven servant of God should look like. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one gets the prize? So run to win. Jim ran his race to win. Not for himself, but to win others to Christ. And I'm learning, we have quite a few people in this church who are running their race to win as well. And the prize we receive is not something we necessarily have here. Sometimes blessings happen here, but the greatest prize we receive is eternal. So stay consistent, church. Remember, the secret to consistency is to trust in God. Timothy had that, but Timothy's not the only person Paul mentions. He also mentions and introduces us to a man named Epaphroditus, and Paul speaks about him in Philippians 2.25. He says, Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He's a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And he, has, uh, he was your messenger to help me in my need. I'm sending him because he has been longing to see you. And he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have to have one sorrow after another. So... I'm all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you'll be glad to see him, and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy. Give him the honor that people like him deserve, for he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. Just about all we know about Epaphroditus comes from this passage. A lot of people think that he was probably a Gentile convert whose family worshipped the goddess Epaphrodite, which would explain his name. Epaphroditus was a member of the Philippian church, and he carried the offering from the Philippians to Paul in Rome. And, and it's interesting, he was also there to help Paul in some way. And, and 
Some people think he was actually sent to be Paul's permanent helper, that he was never going to come back to Philippi, but then this sickness kind of threw a wrench in those plans. So it's very possible that when Paul is done writing this letter, he sends it with Epaphroditus, that he's the one that takes it back to the Philippians. Well, Paul mentioned several attributes that Epaphroditus has, and his attributes remind us that we need to strive to be well-rounded Christians. Paul describes him in this well-rounded way. He's a a true brother, a co-worker, a fellow soldier, a messenger, and a helper. He's this very balanced, well-rounded guy. Sometimes in our lives, and certainly even in the life of the church, we can get a little unbalanced. And so we, we lean into fellowship too much, not enough reaching out to others. Sometimes we lean into the word and we soak up the word, but then we don't ever put it into practice Epaphroditus is so well-rounded, he doesn't seem to fall into that trap. He, he's, when, when I think of Epaphroditus, I think of Nehemiah and the folks who rebuilt the wall in Jerusalem and just how well-rounded and balanced they had to be to complete that work. In Nehemiah 4.17, uh, this is the ESV, it says, Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. So Nehemiah and the people around that temple, or around, around the walls, I should say, they rebuilt those walls with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. It's hard to rebuild a wall with a sword, and you wouldn't want to fight somebody necessarily with a trowel. It took both of those things working correctly in a well-rounded way for that wall to be rebuilt. There's a story, I'm not sure if it's true, I've, I've heard it from some other ministers, but there's this story about a church that was very much into fellowship, very much into themselves, not so much into reaching out into their community. And above this, this little church, above their fellowship hall, was a sign that said Jesus only. But over the years, uh, the letters fell down as the wind came through the foyer and eventually just said us only. And it kind of described the church well, unfortunately. Because that's all they were about. See, that can't be us. That really can't be the church at all. We have to be well-rounded. We need to pay attention to the example of Epaphroditus and be these well-rounded Christians. If you, if you want a text to just help evaluate yourself, am I a well-rounded Christian? Or if you just need a starting point, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. Great place to start. Here's what that says. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. That that verse, those two verses, are packed with so many things. Guarding, standing firm in your faith, being courageous, being strong, doing all that with a measure of love. That's what a well-rounded Christian looks like. That's how they're going to operate, just like that verse describes. And so that's who Epaphroditus was. He longed to be a blessing to the church that he came from. And because he was a well-rounded Christian, Paul felt okay sending him back. And the blessing is, is really the last point I want to see when it comes to Epaphroditus. He was a blessing to Paul, but he longed to go home. And in a sense, we should be burdened to be a blessing just like Epaphroditus And here's what I mean by that. He felt burdened to go and help Paul. At some point in his life, 
maybe several years before that, he felt burdened to take that long, dangerous road and go serve and help Paul. But then he became ill. He almost died. He hears the Philippians are very concerned about him, and now he has a burden to go and be a blessing for them. And Paul says, that's okay. I know that you genuinely care, just like Timothy. So go ahead and go back to your home church. Be a blessing to them. And what we have to ask ourselves is what burdens us? What burdens you? What keeps you up at night? What causes you to cry out to God in prayer? What weighs heavy on your heart that burdens you so much that you take action? You have to find that. Even as a church, collectively, we have to find that so that we can be a blessing to this community, so that we can help more people more often say yes to God. Epaphroditus felt that burden, and so Paul says, you go ahead and go home, and he tells the Philippians, welcome him. Welcome him, honor him, because he risked his life for the work of Christ. Guys, you can be a blessing every week. You can be a blessing every day. I can wake up and choose to be a blessing for Abby and the boys, or I can wake up and choose to be a burden. You can make the conscious decision to pour your life into other people, to allow them to pour their life into you so that you can bless one another. These two guys in Philippians chapter 2 were consistent co-workers of Paul, and they were all about humility. They were all about service. I was blessed to have been raised up in a church that had so many consistent co-workers. I could go on for hours about each one of them. Everett was just one of those guys who every week served the kingdom. And I'm, tell- I'm blessed right now to work with a wonderful staff. And many of you are consistent coworkers as well. You guys have already blessed our family in more ways than I could even talk about right now. But church, our job is not done. We must continue God's work. We must continue to grow, follow the example of these consistent coworkers and demonstrate that we too trust in God. See, a good reputation comes by way of consistency. The secret to consistency is to trust in God. If we want to be consistent co-workers, if we want to put these attributes that we see here into practice, we have to learn to trust the Lord. We have to learn to trust his word to trust his love, his grace. We have to learn to trust when he disciplines us, when he admonishes us. And we have to learn to trust his plan for our life. If we do that, someday, someone is gonna describe you as a consistent coworker as well. So I wanna close with a proverb today. A portion of this is very well known. You'll recognize it at the end. But I think it's just the perfect encouragement to end this message with. This is Proverbs 3, verse 1 through 6. It says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. See, a good reputation really does come by way of consistency. That's what Proverbs 3, 4 just said. 
That if you, you win the favor and, and a good name in the sight of God and man. The secret to consistency is to trust in God. And church, I don't know where you're at when it comes to your trust level in the Lord. I know how hard it is to take that step of faith. But I'm telling you, it's worth it. I am so thankful for the consistent men and women who have been in my life. I'm thankful that I already know there are going to be consistent men and women in this church who are going to be part of my life, part of my family's life. You're going to set an example for those boys so they can grow up to be consistent co-workers too. And you're doing that across the whole church. Just continue to trust in God. Continue to serve. Continue to be that consistent person for Christ. And you'd be amazed at what he can do through you if you just let yourself be that vessel.